Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the x Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of May 7th, 2018. On this week's show, we have a lengthy conversation about the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. It's a month away, and with the top high school talents performing in playoff games and some of the top showdowns in college baseball already taking place, draft boards for every major league team are being formulated, helping us get an idea of what's going on and who the White Sox should focus on, at least White Sox fans should focus on for players, will be one of our best friends of the podcast, Jim Callis of MLB.com. Plus, he shares his thoughts about when Michael Kopech will be called up and which White Sox prospects could be on the rise or fall for the next MLB Pipeline Top 30. We'll recap the week that was in minor league baseball and answer your questions in P.O. Sox. But first, let's recap the four-game series against the Minnesota Twins as the White Sox started the series with a bang thanks to Trace Thompson's walk-off home run but lost the last three games. And joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox are 9-23. and This is the worst start since 1948 when that White Sox team started 8-24 and and they went on to finish 51-101. and This White Sox squad is on pace to win just 46 games. And I know you said that the second rebuild year is the toughest, but Jim, this is getting ugly. Sure is. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's uh, 1948. You mentioned that team, and I was, and I was looking up quickly because I remember writing about them recently, and it was the pitching staff. Um, it was last time, I believe, that uh, no starter had won at least 10 games. Um, they had two guys with nine wins. Top out that, Bill White went 9-20. and 20. Uh <laughs> nine and ten eight and ten eight and ten two and six in fact no pitcher had a winning record uh at all like the best any starter any pitcher reliever starter could do was zero and zero so that was pretty incredible i don't think the white Sox are that bad but yeah it's been just an incredible start and it's just uh i guess it's right now it's too amusing to me to really get depressing just how they can't win a series against a team that isn't the royals like it just it it that might get old. Novelty might be wear off, but for the time being, I mean, they lose games or lose series of one game, they lose series of two games. They can't even split a series of two games. Uh, they can't win a series when they win the first game. They can't split a series when they win the first game. It's just they, no matter what kind of head start they get, who they're facing, just one aspect of the team or another lets lets them down and ends up losing games by, you know, pretty slim margins. They're not getting blown out. It's just uh, not great baseball one way or another. Yeah, it's like they have one good performance a week right now. Yeah, pretty much. And they use that on Thursday night, which, don't get me wrong, was fun to see the White Sox come from behind, down 5-1, to one, and then watch Trace Thompson hit a walk-off home run off former White Sox closer Addison Reed. But for this series, uh, you know what? We're going to bring back an oldie, but I think a good segment that we used to do and our early editions of this podcast, and it's called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And let's start with The Good, Jim. James Shields flirting with a no-hitter going into the seventh inning on Sunday. And, you know, part of that, a long part of that, was a perfect game going on. Mm-hmm. We talked about Shields in the last Sox Machine Live and how that he's getting much better for the White Sox on the mound. Are we witnessing a resurgence from Shields, or is this a dead cat bounce? Maybe neither. Like, just kind of in the middle where it's not hmm. a complete resurgence. I think he did benefit from, you know, well, one thing he benefited from what he had last time, which was throwing more change-ups, having that as more of a weapon, having to rely less on slow curveballs and slower curveballs, and I think that really works for him, and that's a way to, you know, as long as he can keep throwing the change-up, then it will be a resurgence somewhat. You know, not a, I wouldn't call maybe an above average starter, but a guy who can go six innings on a reliable basis and make up for, you know, like like this week when when both, uh, you know, Carson Fulmer and uh, Hector Santiago were knocked out in the fourth innings. Like, you know, he serves a purpose in the, this rotation. So I think resurgence in, in the sense that he's reliable, yeah, I, I think that's there. Um, the other, I think, is that the Twins really were were hammering fastballs, really uh, going after first pitches, you know, early in the count, uh, whether it was Fulmer. You know, Fulmer pitched the way he did his last time, or at least, you know, what had been his recipe for success, which is throwing strikes and seeing what they do with it. In this case, he threw strikes and, you know, the Twins really pounded him. And I think, you know, Shields being a crafty righty, being somebody who pitches backwards and will you know, throw a lot of breaking stuff and fastball counts and change-ups. I think that worked for him and, and helped keep the Twins off him, at least, you know, through six innings. Then, it, you know, he just looked more like his old self, you know, in the seventh, which I think is, you know, more or less fine. It just kind of was anticlimactic how he had a perfect game through six, and then he ended up being on the hook briefly for a loss. So I think that's kind of disappointing. But overall, I think, you know, he's got something that, he can work with and will be useful to this team, um, you know, in a rebuilding season and with a team that, 
you know, is at risk of having a lot of short outings elsewhere in the rotation. Now over to the bad. Yoan Makata is on the 10-day disable list. This is a big bummer, Jim. And now it's up to Jose Rondon to fill in his spot, called up from Charlotte. He was two for four, scoring a run on Sunday, but he did commit a costly error that allowed the Twins to come back and get ahead of the White Sox. How much playing time do you want to see Rondon while Mancata is on the mend? I guess I wouldn't want to see him playing every day, but I think you know it does um, it, it does benefit the White Sox to give him some run because he is right now the you know he's he's what Tyler Saladino was the primary backup shortstop you know in AAA and he'll be I imagine this won't be the last time we'll see him so it, you know Rick Renteria should understand what he does that that error was unfortunate and I imagine that's just a matter of a lack of familiarity with Anderson you know I don't know even spring training if they ever played together. And, and, you know, Rondon being relatively new to Major League Baseball, new to Anderson, new to the White Sox, um, you're not expecting that toss because Anderson fumbled it a little bit. Um, yeah, that just seemed to me to be a rookie mistake and a rookie mistake on a, on a team that he's, you know, gelling with or still really hasn't, doesn't really know. So, um, yeah, it was unfortunate and, and terrible timing, but it's... Uh, it is what it is in that case. But yeah, I, I think I'd like to see Leary play. Sec- I, I like the way he's played seconds. You know, it's nice to see him still have those chops, um, even if he maybe should be, you know, mostly an everyday center fielder at this point. Um, you know, wouldn't mind seeing Gilmer play there. You know, just to mix it up, have Davidson get some reps at third. Um, you know, there are a few ways they can do it, but I wouldn't mind seeing Rondon start a couple more games while Moncada's out just to, you know, what you know, whether good or bad, know what he can do and know what his weaknesses are. You know, should another injury or you know other playing time open up where he's needed, at least the White Sox will know a little bit better how to handle him. And with Lurie Garcia, I think Garcia needs to be in the lineup every day, even when Mancada comes back in the lineup. Yeah, he's playing well. He's he playing is playing. Well. He is playing well, and it is nice to see that Yomer Sanchez can still play second base <laughs> after he's been mm-hmm. playing mostly third base. And, you know, Matt Davidson, you know, he can still glove it a little bit. I mean, he doesn't have the greatest range in the world at third base, but he's adequate at the position. Yeah. I, I just I just didn't know, like, how much playing time Rondon was going to get or how much he should get. But you do make a good point, Matt. This is a good opportunity for Rick Renteria to understand what he has. And because if you look at Charlotte right now, I, I, I don't think anyone is performing at a position player front gym to merit a call up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Kevin I, Smith really is, is it. And, and then after, throw. right. Well, after Kevin Smith. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, for those that subscribe to the podcast feed, I was on ESPN 1000 on Saturday on the Murph and Fred show. And they asked me, why is Trace Thompson with the White Sox? Well, the easy answer is nobody in the outfield for Charlotte is performing well. Yeah. And if they yeah, were, is up. Yeah, and Paul goes <laughs> yeah. with the White Sox, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so with you know with Jose Rondon, he was the only one that was actually performing well out of all the players in Charlotte. So let's see what he can do, and you know at least to have Louis Garcia play every day. I don't care where. I agree with you. Should probably be in center field. We'll get to the ugly in a moment, uh, but as long as Louis Garcia is in lineup every single day, then I am cool with Jose Rondon being at second base. Yeah, but I it, think like maybe three starts out of ten. Sure. Would be would be good. Sure. But again, this is just a 10-day DL. I mean, yeah. is Mikata going to be right back and perky and ready to go on May 14th? Who knows? I mean, hamstring injuries can linger. Avi Garcia is still out. 
for well, example. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Avi looked a lot worse. He did. Yeah. Mankata has been manageable. So, and they call it tightness and not a strain or a tear or anything. So well, a strain is a tear, but yeah. So let's go into the ugly. This defense is not good. Yeah. It's never been good. I don't think in our lifetime. <laughs> I feel that's at least it feels that way. Will the White Sox ever be a good defensive ball club? Not with this, you know, right now with the rebuilding team being what it is, you know, needing Nicky Delmonico and left to play as much as possible to get an understanding of where exactly his ceiling is. Um, you know, having, um, you know, right field right now, Daniel Polka is not a good right fielder. He's there. I think Trace is all right, but, you know, Polka and right, I think, uh, you know, middle infield is more or less good. You know, Anderson still is mistake prone, but he's nine games in a row without an error. I think that has a chance of smoothing out. Yomer's great, so I think... You know, three quarters of the infield, maybe, you know, Bray was okay too. So I think the infield stands a chance of being all right once uh, you have these, these rookie slash young player mistakes slow down and, and assuming they will. Um, but yeah, the outfield right now is, is, is pretty much a mess. And, you know, I know we get excited for the Winston-Salem guys, but, you know, how many times have we seen great performances in Winston-Salem and then they get to Birmingham and nothing? You know, they, they fizzle out. I mean, the Aloy Jimenez, that's why we're so excited because we've never seen somebody dominate Winston-Salem and then just step right into Birmingham and start dominating right away. Oh, Seb. Well, Sebby, as much as I love the guy, is ice cold at yeah, the moment. Slow. Yeah. But I mean, actually, this is a pretty interesting year for Birmingham. Um, just that, you know, um, the power is, you know, not, uh, I guess, uh, not, uh, not non-existence, you know, to use a double negative. Um, you know, you got three guys with six homers. Um, you know, Miel Chesky is a bit of a bounce back. Um, you know, there's some guys are hitting there and it kind of gives me hope that, you know, one, you know, whether it's Basabe, imagine he'll be the first to get the call up, but, uh, you know, Birmingham might not be the death trap that it's been in years past. Well, I think it can't be Jim because again, with this outfield, what do you want Rick Hahn to do? I mean, he tried, he took some cash he sent Tyler Saladino to the Brewers, took that cash, sent it to Oakland to get Trace Thompson, because again, there is no backup plan right now with the outfield. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, Ryan Cordell's injury hurt a lot. It did, but he wasn't exactly yeah. hitting before he got hurt. Well, yeah, but I mean like in terms of like the whole depth and, and um you know the ability to rotate pieces in and out. I think when he went down, you know, and, and you know, that put more pressure on or exposed Charlie Tilson more to the fact that he's not hitting. And now you have Polka up and he's not really a, um, you know, he has some power and it's some fun power, but, you know, he's a little bit raw and uh, the defense especially. So, um, you know, he wasn't supposed to be called up. So I think Cordell is kind of like the first line of defense. And, you know, it's, you know, with Avi out, I think that's the other one that, you know, having him missing just makes everybody else have to play too much. Sure. And then, you know, you're, you so you take the outfield defense, not playing well. And then Omer Neveas, like what's going on here? Yeah. The pass balls is just incredibly frustrating. I'm to the point, Jim, of just call up Kevin Smith, send Neveas down to Charlotte because I can't stand this anymore. But now you have Wellington Castillo hurt, and I feel like the White Sox need to figure out that situation. Like, Castillo, do you need to go on the 10-day DL? Because we can't have Narvaez catch every single day. And I just, I don't know what to think. Like, he's not framing well. We knew he didn't have power. He's not getting on base that much. Now he's got a blocking issue. 
I just feel like it's time for Kevin Smith now to be called up. Yeah, I mean, Smith has allowed uh, uh, you know, 10 steals in 10 games, so I think that's something... <laughs> you really got to be in your bonnet here. Um, yeah, no, it's... it's uh, it's tough just because, you know, one way or another, it's putting a strain on the young pitching staff, you know, whether it's Narvaez, you know, hemorrhaging strikes and, um, you know, the, the pass balls are an issue or Smith, you know, giving up stolen bases, making it a whole lot harder, or at least, you know, for young starters like Giolito, a big guy, six, six, and, you know, takes a while for his delivery to reach the plate, you know, it makes base runners a little bit, you know, makes it a bit easier to run on them. You know, that's, that's a problem. So I'm hoping Castillo, you know, with Narvaez starting, on Sunday that it's more a a day game after a night game and give him a day off on Monday. And then Pittsburgh, he'll be back and it'll be more Wellington heavy at this point. Um, I'm hoping that's the case, but uh, at least Wellington is not uh, Yadier Molina who had surgery. That's scary. uh, Right. (laughs) Not good. Not good. Yeah. Groinal region. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wellington's injury could have been a lot worse. Yeah. A lot worse. Back to your bee in my bonnet comment that you made. I'm trying, you know, I'm looking at this roster right now, and I'm looking at the way that these guys are playing. And let's say the White Sox are very competitive in 2020. Some of these guys need to help fill in the holes of a 25-man roster. It's not like Rick Hahn could rebuild a whole 25-man roster in two years. And I just feel like a lot of these guys are posing far more questions than they are providing answers. And some of them are just straight up proving that they're not major leaguers. Like Adam Engel had a good day on Sunday, but man, how long can you keep running this guy out there for if he can't hit? And what are we doing? Well, I shouldn't say we, what are the White Sox doing bunting when Engel's on first base late in games? If he is fast, let him try to steal second And then bunt him over to third. Why are we waste? Why are the White Sox wasting it out trying to get Engel to second? Yep. No, I agree with that. That's always been, uh, you know, and I think that's you know going back to the, you know, conversation I have with Russell Carlton, the idea of um, loss aversion and not wanting to see Engel cut down at second because that's a bad idea, uh, and and that makes it look like you screwed up with your decision making. Whereas a bunt, you know, assuming the bunt is executed correctly and Engel gets a second, it doesn't feel like anybody failed. So, yeah, that's, that's always been an issue with me. I'd rather see guys cut down. Yeah, it's the same thing with, um, you know, um, what game was it? Friday? Um, where the Twins had a runner cut down at home plate. It was a bad send, but you're also counting on, you know, two left-handed hitters getting two hits in a row off Aaron Bummer, which is not a great, you know, it's not a great bet either way. So you're counting on like a, you know, 30 or 40% chance of, you know, whether it's one of, uh, you know, Castro scoring from second or whether it's, you know, two guys getting hits in a row, it's not great. So, you know, I think those decisions are all over the place. Yeah. And I've never liked that. That's always annoyed me. And I'd rather see guys get cut down on the bases, you know, not, not toot blands, just, uh, you know, sensible risks that don't work out. I think that's the case, but yeah, I guess I'm just, so the, the matter where, you know, I've been doing this for, uh, 13, this is my 13th season. So the White Sox can't hurt me anymore. <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's and I've seen enough here. Like you know, the the infield is pretty solid. Whether Davidson is real or not, uh, I'm not convinced. But at least he is producing. Um, Delmonico is a bat of some kind. You know, whether it's a bench bat, uh, I I still like to see him get the whole season in the left field just to really understand how much it'll take for him to 
improve where his ceiling for improvement is and then decide after the season. But yeah, just really a few spots where there's, yeah, I would say mostly on the pitching side where, uh, you know, two starting spots, you know, uh, a good chunk of the bullpen where nothing's there. And that's, I think what makes them really hard to watch. Moving on from the Minnesota Twins series, the White Sox will have a two-game series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. They have four games against the Pirates this year. Two two-game series. The first two here will be at Guaranteed Rate Field, and later on in the year, the White Sox will be traveling to PNC Park for a midweek series. The Pittsburgh Pirates, they are 19-16 and 16 on the year, one of the league surprises early this year. And for your pitching problems in this series against the Pirates, starting on Tuesday, as the White Sox have today off, Monday, May 7th, the first pitch is at 7.10 p.m. Central Time. It is Ivan Nova for the Pirates against Lucas Giolito. And on Wednesday, getaway day, 1.10 p.m. Central Time start, it is Trevor Williams against Ronaldo Lopez, as the White Sox will be off on Thursday. And then, yay, it'll be White Sox at Cubs Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It is our favorite series of the year, Jim. Mm-hmm. With this series against Pittsburgh, though, these two games, and even though I have a B in my bonnet and I'm a little bit upset on how well or how poorly the White Sox have been playing, especially against a team like the Twins this weekend when the Twins were really faltering, I feel like these two games could be like the White Sox played against St. Louis last week, where if Giolito and Lopez are on top of their game, these could be tight contests. And these could be really interesting viewings. What are your thoughts about the White Sox and Pirates this week? Well, it should be, you know, fairly even. I think Lopez is the one worth paying attention to. He just had a weird start. Uh, His velocity wasn't quite there. His slider wasn't quite there. And it reminded me a lot of the start against the Royals, I think, um, at the end of the season where he wasn't missing bats, gave up a a big crooked number early and then somehow pitched six. And I think, you know, seeing him get in the seventh last last start on, on... 83 pitches you know he was just getting hit but said like all right let him hit him and see what happens and the defense showed up for him you know that's a case where the defense did play well uh, he's the guy i'm watching just in terms of what kind of stuff he has where his velocity is at i think giolito it's more a matter of just you know can he locate his fastball can he um you know get favorable counts for his breaking stuff i think he's more uh just about you know, how he pitches early in the counts, whereas Lopez, I think, is more of a mystery based on how he threw in his last start. But given that the Pirates, you know, these two pitchers, Nova and Williams, they don't really strike out, they don't really rack up the high strikeouts, hoping that, you know, we get away from a series where they just threw high fastballs and the White Sox struggled and it's more of a ground balling type and maybe the White Sox are able to use their speed more. And uh, I'm just, I'm just hoping for a split. <laughs> that would just be, that would just be the best. Yeah, because the Marlins have won three series in a row, Jim. <laughs> And right now, the White Sox would have the number three pick in the 2019 Major League Baseball draft behind Cincinnati and Baltimore. Yeah. So you know what? It could be worse. Yeah, especially Baltimore. Like, they've they've been really depressing. Yeah. And they're going to be trading face of the franchise, Manny Machado, uh, in a couple of months here. (laughs) Yeah, unless they, I mean, like, I assume they are, but given how weird Baltimore has been front office wise, (laughs) like two general managers and maybe three decision makers. (laughs) It's yeah. They've been a mess. If they don't trade Manny Machado by the deadline, we'll have to check in with our friend, Dan Zaborski with him being a big Baltimore Orioles fan and see where his mental state would be. (laughs) Cause yeah, I think he's, he, I just saw him tweets. Maybe it was yesterday saying that he'd rather have 10 randomly selected people from Twitter (laughs) be in the front office. Well, 
Yeah. Can't do much worse right now. We're Baltimore. So there you go. A silver lining in the opening segment. The White Sox. At least they're not the Orioles and Reds at the moment. (laughs) And uh, hopefully this series against Pittsburgh uh, gives them a little bit of confidence as they head to Wrigley Field. Again, three games against the Cubs Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll preview that series, the upcoming Sox Machine Live Jim, you and I will reconvene for P.O. Sox and, of course, the minor league report. But coming up next on the Sox Machine podcast, I'm joined by Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com to discuss Michael Kopech and the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. And I actually used SeatGeek to buy tickets to one of the White Sox games at the beginning of the year against the Detroit Tigers. I bought nine tickets, a big group of tickets, and SeatGeek made it really easy to find all those seats next to each other. And I didn't have to meet everybody at the gates. I could actually forward their tickets to their phones via the SeatGeek app. Makes it really easy for big groups. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And speaking as far as your budget, this upcoming week, SeatGeek has great deals going on for this upcoming series against the Pittsburgh Pirates where you can find tickets as cheap as $5 on SeatGeek. And this upcoming weekend series, if you want to head up north to Wrigley Field for the White Sox-Cubs series, they have tickets starting at $70. And for our listeners of the Sox Machine podcast, when you download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code SOXMACHINE, and that's promo code SOXMACHINE for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And for those that have used SeatGeek, like I do, there's a special offer for all Major League Baseball purchases, not just first-timers. If you use promo code MACHINE, again, promo code MACHINE, you get $10 off on Major League Baseball tickets. So you could use that for a way to get into a game for free uh, against the White Sox or Pirates. Or if you are going up to Wrigley Field to watch the White Sox at Wrigley, you can use that promo code MACHINE for $10 off your purchase. Or if you're a first-time user, use our promo code SOXMACHINE for 20 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. We are less than a month away from the Major League Baseball draft, and draft boards are starting to be compiled for teams. And while there is a clear-cut favorite to go number one overall with Casey Mize, starting pitcher out of Auburn, there is a lot of speculation of what could happen after the Tigers pick. Plus, you have promotions of some of the game's top prospects throughout the league. There's just a lot going on when it comes to the prospect side of Major League Baseball, which is why we are grateful to be joined by one of our best friends of the podcast. He's the senior writer of MLBPipeline.com. It's Jim Callis. And hello, Jim. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. No problem. I, I, I will try to make this profanity-free, but I'm, I have like kind of half an eye on the Capitals-Penguins game. So if, uh, if the Penguins <laughs> score, I may make, I make curse under my breath. I will, I, will, I will try to keep myself in check, though. 
How many times have those two teams played each other in the postseason in the last five years? It seems like every year. Yeah. Yeah, and I was good. Well, you know, they have it's a weird playoff format where you the brackets are kind of set up by division under the current format, and I do know that the Penguins. I think all, I don't. It's not that I don't like the Penguins. I, I'm from the D.C. area, and with the Blackhawks not making the playoffs, I'm, I'm rooting for the Capitals. Um, but I, I do know the Penguins. The three times that Sidney Crosby has won the Stanley Cup, they've beaten the the, the Capitals in, I believe, the second round of the playoffs. And I'm not sure all three series have gone seven games, but it, it feels like it. Well, that's our hockey talk. Yeah, the Caps just scored. <laughs> Ovechkin just scored while we were uh, talking, so I, I'm, I'm not watching the game. I'm monitoring it on NHL.com, so the the Caps are up with 49 seconds left. Well, so. hopefully they could hold on in that last 49 <laughs> seconds. Uh, yeah, yeah they've, they've had some rough <laughs> losses, so we'll see. <laughs> well, starting with the White Sox prospects, and specifically Michael Kopech. Jim, the White Sox starters have been bad. They are dealing with injuries, dealing with being ineffective, with Miguel Gonzalez on the disabled list now. They, they could really use some help. And we just saw the Atlanta Braves call up uh, Mike Soroka. I, is it time for the White Sox to call up Michael Kopech? You know, I'm going to give the answer I always give. I mean, I think, you know, and I said this on your podcast at the beginning of the year, just talking about the White Sox in general, that I thought at least one of the three teams uh, with the great farm systems right now, the Padres, the Braves, or the White Sox, that, that those systems, oftentimes a big league team contends sooner than expected. And I thought one of those three teams might surprise. I, I didn't claim to know which one of the three. I just looked that out as a possibility. And so far, that team has been the Braves. Like, I, I don't think one month makes you a contender, but they're off to a great start. I think Soroka's start is just supposed to be like, like one start and then back down to the minors, but I don't think you add him to the 40-man roster if you're not off to a good start like, like the Braves were, and, and I think we'll see Soroka back. Since the White Sox aren't contending, um, you know, which I don't think is a big shock. I don't know if any of us expected they'd be eight and eighteen, but you know, we're you know, <laughs> I guess after they exercise the fourth pick in this year's draft, unless things turn around, the White Sox fans will probably be looking forward to next year's draft. But I would not promote Kopech because there's no real good that can come of it. You're making him eligible for arbitration sooner than you have to. And I just don't see the need. As, as bad as they've been, you know, I, I still, you know, he had a good start the other day, you know, Carson Fulmer. But, I mean, you got to run Carson Fulmer out there, I think, for at least 20 starts. Lucas Giolito seems like he's gone backwards after taking a big step forward down the stretch last year. You got to get, you, you just got to keep him in the rotation, right? Ronaldo Lopez has pitched well. You got to keep him in the rotation. I mean, you could you could jettison James Shields, but I, I just I would not start Kopech's service time clock ticking. Although, I mean, he is throwing more strikes than ever, and I do think from a a survival standpoint, or even a, a, a th- I'll create a word, thrivability. Uh, I think Kopech stuff is so good that he could thrive right away. But I would, I would keep him down a little longer. I, I just, I, it's, it stinks when not much is going right. And it would be fun to watch him. But I think it probably makes sense to keep him in AAA until you get past the Super Two deadline. And 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 in a weird sort of way, that I mean, I don't, I, I, I you know, the, the tanking discussion gets overwrought. But, like, you bring Kopech up now, you might win a couple extra games that, in the end, you're going to wish that you didn't win. Like, so I would delay his impact from that standpoint, too, even though Rick Hahn and company can't say that. But, I mean, 
shoot, I mean, look at this year's draft, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. I mean, it's a weird draft in that there's like one guy who separated themselves. It's not like last year at this point there were five guys who separated themselves. Well, if Pablo Sandoval doesn't hit a home run in the ninth inning on the last day of the regular season last year, the Giants have that number one pick, not the Tigers. So, uh, you know, I, I just think for a number of reasons, all, you know, that are better for the White Sox long-term interests, I guess you keep running James Shields out there. Out of the White Sox top 30 prospects, who has been catching your eye early this year and could be rising up the White Sox prospect ranking board? Well, you know me, Josh, and it's we're 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 in the midst of of several draft preparations. I was I was I was fiddling with my uh, my fall list, expanding them, and collating my wide volume of notes. So if I if I'm going to claim that I've uh, paid close attention to the minor leagues, I would be lying. Um, <laughs> but to ask you answer your question, I mean, I, I don't think. He, I, I, you know, it's not a surprise, but but one guy who who's kind of just reinforced what his upside could be, I think, is Dane Dunning. Like, I mean, the White Sox had a log jam, so they sent him back to high class A this year. But but I think Dane Dunning, you know, he doesn't have. We we've talked about him. You know, he doesn't have the highest ceiling of all these pitchers, but he might have the highest floor. And I just think that guy's going to be a solid, at worst. You know, number three or four starter in the middle of a lineup. Um, you know, Mike Rodolfo continues to intrigue me a little bit. I mean, he he needs to cut down on the strikeouts, but he's you know continuing to hit for power and average, and and you know, drawing a few walks in high class A. That's pretty exciting. Um, you know, uh, Basabi, you know, Luis Alexander Basabi, who a year ago, White Sox fans were asking me, is he going on the top 100 prospects list right after the Chris Sale trade? And then he went out and had a rough year that was impacted by a knee injury. I think he's kind of flashing what he can do, too. That that Winston-Salem team has been pretty interesting. So those would, would probably be the guys who have jumped out at me the most uh, so far in the early going. Speaking of Basabe, we did have a listener question from Peter Hand. And Peter was asking, Jim, what do you think is the floor and ceiling for Basabe? Well, I mean, he and he's one of those guys, there's a big gap. I mean, you know, the, the floor... Yeah, the floor is he doesn't hit enough to get to the big leagues because he's still pretty raw. Um, so, like, I, I still don't think he's like a, a slam dunk. Well, you know, he, he's a lock to play in the big leagues because he's, he's just barely playing high class A. But, I mean, the, the the ceiling is, I mean, I think you're talking about a, a 2020 guy who could play center or right field depending on where you need him. So, I mean, it, it's a pretty impressive ceiling, and he's and he's only 21 and will be for most of the years. So, um, you know, he, he's really, really interesting. Let's shift over to the Major League Baseball draft. As you mentioned, you are doing lots of work right now preparing because we are within a month of the Major League Baseball draft. And for the White Sox, they have the number four pick and the 46 pick on the first day as the first day will cover the first and second rounds. And MLB Pipeline has released not only a top 100 draft prospect list, but also a mock draft for the first 30 picks. Uh, Jonathan Mayo wrote that, and I thought 30 picks was quite ambitious just because, man, it's really hard to figure out on what the Giants are going to do at number two. I couldn't imagine trying to think of where everybody else could slot in. And I think everyone at the moment, Jim, agrees that Casey Mize is the best collegiate starting pitcher in this draft class. But on the college position player front, who do you think is the best at the moment? 
Well, I think it's Nick Madrigal. Um, you know, and, and he's a weird one. Like, I struggle with, with I struggle with him a little bit. I mean, I think he's in the discussion to go number one, but I don't think he's going to go one one. And like, I don't even know if this will make sense, but I still haven't completely wrapped my head around Nick Madrigal because, on one hand, I do think he's the best player in college baseball, best position player. He can really hit. He can really run. Mm-hmm. He's also a five foot seven second baseman who who has played some shortstop, but probably isn't going to be a shortstop. And he doesn't have, you know, he's not like a little slappy guy, but I mean, he's probably a, a you know, if you're projecting him out, like a, a 12, you know, maybe 15 home run guy. And 15 might be gen- it might be more 10 to 12. And I don't know if that kind of fits the profile that goes 1-1. And but I, I've said that on Twitter, and I, I love Nick Madrigal. So I, I'm not knocking him, but then on Twitter I get killed. Oh, what about Jose Altuve? And you just can't go thinking that every five foot seven second baseman is going to be Jose Altuve because there's one Jose Altuve, and I, you know he doesn't have Dustin Pedroia's pop, and Dustin Pedroia never would have been a first round pick, you know, just based on the way he was he was scouted and what people thought of him, and you know I know Ozzy Albie's has exceeded his power projection so far. I think he's leading the National League in home runs. So, I mean, I guess if you want to dream that, you know, he's a 20 home run guy, but he just doesn't quite fit that profile to go 1-1. But I, I think he's the best of the college position players. And, and I was just going to touch on, you know, that, that White Sox mock draft, or not White Sox, the whole mock draft that Johnson did. You know, we were joking about it. And I really do think at this point when you do him this early and, and he just happened to do the first one, I'll do one next week. I know when I do him super early, like when I was at Baseball America, I think I'd, I'd have, I would have had one out, you know, I guess roughly the same time. Um, your goal is not to get a text from somebody saying we're not on that guy at all. Like when you project a guy to go to a specific team, that's kind of the goal. Like you, you, you I mean, you, they're, they're just, like you said, you don't really even know who's going to, so you're, you're just kind of guessing. You know, and I do think at the draft for today, I feel pretty confident Casey Myers would go one-one. Not that that can't change, right. but I also think nobody would have any clue who the Giants are picking at two until they exercise the pick, and there's a lot of candidates for it. But I, I will say with with Jonathan's board. He had the White Sox taking Alec Baum out of Wichita State at four. And I know you don't draft for need. I can't possibly see how they would take Alec Baum at four when, uh, you know, it's weird. I've got mixed reports on Alec Baum. I think he could go as high as number two. I mean, he, he does have big raw power. He's having a good year. He draws a ton of walks compared to strikeouts. He's also probably, even though he plays third base now, going to be a first base only guy in the big leagues. And, if you want to be really pessimistic, you could argue that Zach Collins could wind up at first base. You could argue that Jake Berger could wind up at first base even before he blew out his Achilles. Mm-hmm. You could argue that Gavin Sheets is definitely first baseman. I can't see how they would spend another high pick on a guy who might wind up on a corner. Like, and, and my gut feel, and I haven't even talked to the White Sox about their pick, but I, for some reason, I, like when, when Bryce, before Bryce Terang and Nander DeSantis went backwards, I just kind of had this like shortstop vibe. Like I almost wonder if they might take Nick Madrigal if he's there and put him at, at shortstop and see how that plays out. But the, the, I will say the guy who I think would be ideal, who as of today I've kind of talked myself into, I would take him number two, is if Brady Singer got to him at four, and you were talking about the need for pitching, if I'm the White Sox, I'm jumping all over Brady Singer if he's at four. And I've not talked to anyone with the White Sox yet to tell you that's the way they're thinking. But, I, you know, and it's weird because Brady Singer came in. I know this is one of my, my patented very long answers, but uh, I did let you get a hmm in there edgewise. But uh, <laughs> Brady Singer came into the year as our number one prospect. 
And, and Johnson goes to Florida, so he's talked to more guys about him than me, but I have talked to people about him because he's a first-round pick because we're, we're set up the top for a list or anything. And there are guys who think, oh, he's been disappointing. He's more of a mid-first-rounder. You can see other people's lists, and, and everybody's tell their own opinion. You have him ranked 18th or 22nd or, or somewhere around there. And Brady Singer is Brady Singer. I mean, he's not – you know, he yeah, he throws up the low slot. Uh, you know, I think White Sox fans remember a guy named Chris Sale who did pretty well with the low slot when everybody was banging on that. Mm-hmm. When he was coming out of college, like, oh, no, no no way that guy can start. Um, and it seems like it's worked out pretty well for Chris and Madison Bumgarner and other guys too. And, you know, Brady Singer doesn't throw 97-98, but you know what? He, he That's not him. He, he throws 92-94 with life, and he commands it. And he has a, a, a slider that's not like necessarily a true wipeout slider, but he's got great feel for it, and he, and he changes shape and speeds on it. And he's super competitive on the mound. And if you look at his numbers, he's having the best performance he's had at Florida in three years. So I don't – Brady Singer's not any different than what anybody thought he was coming into the year. And he's having the best performance of his college career. And yet I get some scouting directors who, who think he belongs more in the middle of the first round than the top. But I would take him at number two, and I will conclude my long answer by saying if I'm the White Sox figuring that I don't have a shot at Casey Mize – I'm hoping Brady Singer's there at four because I think he'd be the best fit for the White Sox. Well, I just recently wrote a draft report from a perspective of the Chicago White Sox about Nick Madrigal. And I agree on a lot of things that you mentioned, Jim. And the question that I pose with Madrigal is, do you believe you can develop power, that you can draft a hitter, and if they're 40 power, that you could work on that swing to generate more power and make them a 50 power grade because then I think it would be worthwhile for the White Sox to invest that pick in Nick Madrigal. The first thing White Sox fans will say, Jim, is why are the White Sox selecting a second baseman when you have Yohan Mikata here for the next six years? Yeah, I think if they took Madrigal and I know they got Tim Anderson too, you'd be taking him because you thought he was the best player on the board right. and when you draft at the top, you take the best player on the board and you figure out who's going to play where down the road. I mean, you, you talk to people who don't think Tim Anderson's necessarily a great shortstop or that Yamakaz is a great second baseman and that they both should wind up in, or one of them should wind up in the outfield. So that would be part of it. Getting back to your, your power question, I mean, shoot, we're living in the era of launch angle and, you know, Chris Taylor, you know, all of a sudden is hitting 20 plus home runs and, and other guys too. I mean, right. I do think. Yeah, you, you can look at that either way, and that's what's, what's so great about the draft is you can talk yourself into it. You, and I don't even know which answer is right, but yes, you could say, "Look, we could add some loft to his swing. He's such a gifted hitter; he could make it work." You know, the ball flies at whatever the park is named now. I guess it's guaranteed rate, but I still call it Comiskey as opposed to the cell. Um, but so yeah, you could argue all that. But then the flip side is, mm-hmm. the guy is five seven, one sixty. There's not a lot of, you know, he's not weak, but it's not like, and he has bad speed, but it's not like, you know, this guy isn't a big, strong guy by any means. And and it's kind of like you start changing the guy's swing, you know, it's like cleaning up a pitcher's delivery. Um, And sometimes you do that because you think, oh, we got to clean up the delivery because, you know, he does this, he might get hurt. And, And you change the guy's delivery, and then sometimes the stuff isn't as good, or, you know, you... You know, you hurt the guy. Like, like I mean, I'm not saying anybody would do this, but like, say, if, if you if you were on these low slot police, oh, Brady Singer, low slot, let's raise his arm slot. Well, you know what? His fastball might not be as live, and right. he might not have as great a feel from the slider, and and you might hurt him. Um, so, I mean, it's possible, but like, if you turn Nick Madrigal into a 
15 to 20 homer guy, then maybe you're taking that guy you thought was a 300 hitter and you're making him a 270 hitter. So, um, you know, and obviously the, the you know the, the power would be more valuable, but you know, but it's also possible that, that maybe you really screw a swing up too. So, um, yeah, true. And I, on that, I, I will say not that you shouldn't like, make some alterations, but if you're talking about doing something drastic, it's always a red flag to me when, when a team drafts a guy and then they try to make significant changes to him. Like if you're talking about a guy in the first round, because like. You know, I mean, I know there's projection involved, but if you're talking about altering guys' delivery or swing, then you're probably not taking the right guy in the first round. Um, and like I said, when I when I when I, I I keep my gut feel keeps saying Madrigal to the White Sox if he's there. I, I don't know if that's true, but I've just felt like all along like they were destined to get a middle infielder, and he's far and away the best middle infielder in this draft. And and I 100 percent agree with you. And yes, the White Sox are definitely starving for middle infield depth within the system. And, you know, with Brady Singer, to circle back on that, for anyone that watched that game between Florida and Auburn, Mize versus Singer, Singer definitely steps up when the competition gets a lot better. When there's more on the line in a game, Singer is most definitely at his best. And he looked terrific in that game against Auburn. And I think he is the second best collegiate starting pitcher in this draft behind Casey Mize. Any question? I mean, there might be some people who dispute that, but you know, the thing that's weird too is if you look at the college starting pitchers, most of the guys have not had the year. You know, Shane McClanahan's been all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know Shane McClanahan is left-handed and he can touch a hundred. I, I don't know how you could take him over Brady Singer. You know, Ryan Rollison in Mississippi has been inconsistent. Jackson Coart, Florida, has been inconsistent. Um, I, I don't know how you could take any. I mean, some of those guys maybe they will go ahead of him. You know, Logan Gilbert Stetson has been inconsistent. I, I don't know how you could take any of those guys over Brady Singer, but. You know, it, this is a weird draft, and it could maybe happen. I mean, I'm looking at Jonathan's mock draft. If I'm the White Sox, to me, this this would be the worst case scenario to have it go: Mize one, Singer two, Madrigal three. Because then I think it's totally wide open. Like, I, I, if I'm the White Sox, and again, I haven't spoken to anybody, so I, I'm not relaying any any insight that they've given me. But just my feel for the draft, like I would probably take those three guys in that order at the top of the draft: my Singer, Madrigal, and if I was picking four, and they went one, two, three. I don't know who I would pick number four. Well, I was going to ask you, and how much the draft board will change in the next month? One of the players that I think. Has always impressed me when I watch Florida's Jonathan India, and I like Jonathan India a little bit more than Alec Baum. And you can call me crazy for that, Jim. But no, I I, I don't think that's crazy because he's not having a very good year. I think I like Jeremy Ironman a little bit more than Alec Baum. Um, I would, and I don't mean this as I'm just giving you assessments, and I guess I'm going to sound harsh. I would want a better player than Jonathan India if I was drafting fourth. I would. I, I think he's a good player. I don't know. He, he's having an unbelievable year. I, I don't know if there's a true, or maybe I should say true, consensus plus tool. I mean, I know he was banged up last year, but the guy hit 274 with six homers last year. Not that you can't get better, but. I think the true Jonathan India is somewhere in between the guy with the 783 ops as a as a, fr- a sophomore and the 1388 ops as a junior. Um, I think defensively, 
Yeah, he's probably a second or third baseman. I mean, maybe you could try him at short. Um, he could be a real good offensive second baseman. You know, he's played mostly third for them. I would want a little bit better player than Jonathan India at four. But that said, if you're talking floor, not that they're going to draft for floor, you could argue, you know, he, he's up there. I mean, but I mean, his his numbers are as good as anybody's. And I'm with you. I, I would take him over Alec Baum. And I think most people in baseball would disagree because a Baum has, you know, Baum can have plus power. But I really think he's a first baseman, and I wouldn't want to take a first baseman like at number four, unless I like felt like 100% I was getting like Mark Teixeira or something. Um, right. Um, so I wouldn't want either one of those guys. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying to look here. Well, my my question to you was going to be, who is somebody that you think will rise in the next month? Well, you know, it's not even rising because I, I well, you know, and there will be. I mean, guys will will ebb and flow and move up and down. But but I and I say this every year, but I think more so this year than ever, and up higher in the draft. I really think you know. I always say, I think fans would be surprised if you could get if you got say five different teams to give you their 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 top thirty players, like give you their draft board, which <laughs> it's not going to happen. It would just be great, even if it was anonymous. You'd you'd five different teams give you their top thirty players on their draft board. I think fans would be astonished at how after you got past the first fifteen picks. They were just wildly different, like because it's just the way different people see different players. This year, I think if you did that, we'd all be sh- we'd be shocked to see how different, like even two through ten were for some teams. Like I said, not that I'm a team, but like to me, Brady Singer would be two. Some teams might have Brady Singer at fifteen, and like Alec Baum, Alec Baum could go number two overall in the draft. Like uh, to me, I- I'd rather have him closer to fifteen. It's 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 just all over the place. So. I don't even know that, like, it's going to be that, like, guy. Like, I, I'm sure the White Sox have zeroed in on, like, you know, eight or nine guys. And I don't know if that's necessarily going to change. And it's just, you know, who they're looking at might be different than other guys. I mean, other guys I would throw out there, you know, it seems like they're they're taking a lot of college performers recently. So I don't know if we want to, you know, I, I don't think there's a high school hitter who would be in their mix at four. You know, Jared Kelnick from Wisconsin would probably be, I mean, he's the best high school hitter available. I, I just think they've they've been going more the college route. You know, high school pitcher. You know, would they take a high school righty with Carter Stewart, who, who's got you know a great curveball and a and a good fastball, or, or Matthew Libertor is a polished lefty. You know, maybe. Um, but again, they, they they've been very college heavy early. Um, you know, Johnson mentioned Shane McClanahan or Logan Gilbert. I think that's kind of rich on both those guys um but jonathan talked to more people so maybe he's got some insight i mean if you're talking college position players to me i i mean again i don't think nick hosteller is going to call me to ask me who i would pick but if we do have that scenario where it's mize singer madrigal to me it might come down to either i would really look at matthew libertor the high school lefty i do like him a lot or I'd look at, at Travis Swaggerty, the South Alabama center fielder, or Joey Barth, the, the Georgia Tech catcher. And if, if the high school guys are out of the mix because the, the White Sox want a college guy, then it would probably be Swaggerty or Bart. I, I would not force I, – I think a pitcher would be the best thing – You know, I, I think that would be the most useful thing to organization. But I, I don't see a pitcher who really belongs there if they don't get Miser Singer. And I agree with you on that. I think Joey Bart is going to be someone – that is would surprise. I wouldn't be surprised if San Francisco took him number two overall and thinking that 
here is our heir apparent to Buster Posey. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, and, and look, the White Sox believe that Zach Collins can catch. And, you know, he was, the, you know, their first round pick just a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, I mean, right. you could, I agree, that would be kind of a weird pick too. Um, you know, I mean, you could argue if you're taking the best guy on the board, if Joey Bart's the best guy on the board. And I, I still, <laughs> I don't know what to make of Zach Collins, Josh. I, I think I'm a little bit lower on him than some. I, I know I'm less optimistic than the White Sox are about his catching prowess. Um, I think he can throw. I, I question the receiving. But, man, the guy keeps – I mean, he's doing the same thing again. I mean, his numbers are a little bit down, but, like, since he's been in pro ball, he's hit a bunch of homers, and he's not hitting home runs yet this year. He's drawn a bunch of walks, and he's doing that. And he's also struck out a ton, and he's a career 227 hitter. So I'm – I am less convinced that he's the White Sox catch of the future. So if it were me, and again, <laughs> I'm not running the White Sox. If I thought Joey Bart was the best player on the board, I'm not worried. I'm not worrying about Zach Collins. I'm taking Joey Bart because um, I mean you could argue the same token. Like if okay, you don't want Joey Bart, you take Travis Swaggerty. Well, I mean you got a ton of outfield prospects in the system too. So like. You're going to run out of room for all of them also. And, again, you, I just don't think you draft for need. If I'm the White Sox, I'm figuring out who I think the four best guys are. I'm lining up one, two, three, four, and I'm taking the best guy who's available. Um, and, like, for me, like I said, it would be right now I would go Mize one, Singer two, Madrigal three, and I'd have to think about it a little bit more, but I'd probably be looking at Libertor, Swaggerty, and Bart for the fourth pick. Another fan question comes from Rec, and I thought this is a really good question because you've been doing this for a very long time, Jim. What's the most interesting change you've made in your methodology of coming up with a top 100 list for the baseball draft? You know what's interesting is with the baseball draft, it's different than how we do the top 100 prospects list. Because with the top 100 prospects list, I mean, we, we do seek input and feedback, and we get a bunch of it from the industry. But at the same time, like, you know, I, and, you know, there's the MLB pipeline, there's three of us. It's me and Jonathan Mayo and Mike Rosenbaum. And, and while we're not going to totally buck industry consensus, at the same time, if, if I really believe, if I believe in a guy or they believe in a guy more than the industry as a whole, like, I think the top 100 prospect list reflects what we think of guys, if that makes sense. You've you got a lot more data. You know, the statistics in pro ball obviously mean a lot more than they do as amateurs. You know, you, you've seen a lot more of these guys against you know, better competition. So while we do get feedback, the top 100 prospects list for the minor leagues is what we think of guys. And with the draft, it's more of a reflection. There is some you know, feel for what we think of guys. But, I, but with the top 100 draft list, it's more of a reflection. We're trying to reflect what the industry thinks um, because I think it's a lot harder to scout those players. Um, yeah, I, I, I still – I know there's a lot of teams that put a lot of stock into, into statistics and – college performance and they'll even break it down how you're doing against the Friday night starters which is the number one starter but I just think it, it, it's a small sample. like you mentioned Jonathan India he's got 583 at-bats in his college career to this point um, that's not a lot of at-bats it's like a, a, like a little bit more than a season in the minors um, but it, I, I just think when you talk about park factors the competition levels vary to me when I look at, at college stats the, the thing that jumps out is I don't think having a great year 
is a guarantee success. I've seen a lot of guys have great years and not make the big leagues, but I do think the the red flag, like if a guy's like, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Or Jeremy Ironman's having a rough year, although he's rallied. But like, if you have a guy who is hitting 260 in college, like, well, what, how is that going to play? I mean, guys can get better, but like, for the most part, like that worries me. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, bad stats <laughs> matter to me at the amateur level, or disappointing stats, whereas really good stats. I mean, they're nice, and, and you, you consider them, but they don't, to me, guarantee that you know Alec Baum or Jonathan Innie is going to be a big superstar. I, I guess the biggest change I've made, and I don't have a ton of data, but it always kind of piques my curiosity, but I, 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 you know, I know a lot of, there are teams that really believe in, in spin rates, so that's something I try to look at. Like, if, if you can get the TrackMan data, that, that stuff fascinates me a little bit, and that means more to me than... You know, a guy hit 420 or 380, you know, if you get some exit velocities, you know, and again, I mean, that's just a data point. But I think kind of those esoteric stats are, are something I try to look at when they're available. You can follow Jim on Twitter. He's at Jim Callis, MLB. Read his always insightful and excellent work on MLBpipeline.com. Also listen to the MLB Pipeline podcast as he and Jonathan Mayo try to make sense of what should be a pretty fun draft to cover in June. As, and as always, Jim, thank you for taking the time to chat with us on the Sox Machine podcast. Oh, no, it's always fun talking to you, Josh. And uh, so, so who do you want at number four? If you can't have, <laughs> if you can't have my singer or Madrigal, oh, you know, you, you, we have a month. You can certainly change it. But like, as of today, who do you want at number four? Okay. If it went like that, I'd have to say Joey Bart, just because watching Georgia Tech, I can understand where people say, defensively there's not a question there's not many questions that he has that he'll stick at catcher whereas right now for the white Sox, i mean sebi savala is hitting birmingham but i don't think he's got the arm strength to be a major league catcher at least a starting major league catcher i think yeah i think he i think he's more of an offensive minded backup although my twitter has been like like i get a lot of sebi savala questions and, and and fans get up in arms when i don't love him a little more i i just think the defense is kind of, you know the whole defensive package is kind of fringy so he, i think he's more of that offensive minded backup I, I don't think he's the type of guy who you're going to have catch you know 100 games in a season i think you'd rather have right. him as your backup but the fact that savala a 12th round pick is looking better than Zach Collins <laughs> the first round pick in 2016 even when i was there in birmingham to watch the Barons a couple weeks ago uh, is a bit concerning. So if, if that were the case where it went my sinner magical, I, I like Joey Bart more than I like Travis Swaggerty and Alec Baum. And I agree with you, Jonathan India at number four uh, would be too high. It'd just be one of those things where, man, I wish in Major League Baseball you can trade draft picks. Because I think you see a lot of trading down this year. In, in fact, and and you know the thing is too, like even if let's say somebody's a Zach Collins believer, if you draft Joey Bart and let's say Zach Collins can make it as a catcher, and let's say he can get the average up to even 250, to where you know he's hitting 20, 25 homers a year and and drawing a boatload of walks. 
Well, you could trade one of those guys for something pretty good. Like, like there's, you mean the White Sox at some point are going to flip the switch from rebuilding to contending, and then they're probably going to trade some prospects for some veterans to fill some holes. So you could certainly do that. So Joey Bart wouldn't be a bad pick. Yeah. Now I have to write another draft report about Joey Bart. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you need to have hope is that the Giants take Joey Bart at two or take Alec Bama at two, and then I think it's a. I mean, again, the White Sox may be thinking totally different than me. I, like I said. If I'm if I'm a White Sox fan, I'm rooting for Brady Singer to get to me at four. Like I think he would be just like such a nice fit for what they need. I, I think he's the type of guy who you know would be ready for the rotation opening day. You know, I'll, I'm not going to rush these guys to Billy. I'll say opening day 2020. Um, and, and you know, we, we talked about this a lot with all these various arms they have. You know, there's a lot of attrition with pitchers. Um, and then so adding another guy who can – I mean, to me at the worst, like – I mean, yeah, I guess he could get hurt and not make the big leagues. To me at the worst, Brady Singer is going to be a mid-rotation starter, and he might be better than that. And like you said, I mean, and I saw it in Omaha too last year. I mean, that guy's mean on the mound, and he competes. And, like, when it matters, he kicks it up a notch. So, like, I, I just think – I mean, if you dra- if they got Brady Singer at four, Brady Singer might be their number one starter – you know, whenever they, they go back to the playoffs in a few years. I, I really think he's that good. And I agree with you. I do think he is that good. So as always, Jim, great stuff. We'll have to catch up after the draft to see how it all plays out. Yeah, definitely. And, and think about it. I, I probably should say number two because I do believe in Michael Kopech. I think he's more polished than Kopech. But, but yeah, I mean, well, I'm sure we'll talk again. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be watching for your, your Nick Hostetler interview so I can try to glean some uh, insight as to who they will pick at, at, at number four. Welcome to the Minor League Report. As always, we'll start in Charlotte, where Michael Kopech endured his first truly rough start of the 2018 season. He lasted just three innings on Sunday due to control problems, issuing four walks, hitting two batters, and throwing just 34 of 66 pitches for strikes. He still has a 3 ERA, but this start provides the White Sox some cover to keep him in AAA past the Crosstown series coming up this weekend. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot going on in AAA, especially since the White Sox already called up Daniel Palka and Jose Rondon, who were two of the night's more interesting players. Charlie Tilson is 6-for-6 six six stealing bases, but is yet to heat up at the plate, and while Kevin Smith is hitting, opponents have aggressively run on him, going 10-for-10 10 10 in stolen base attempts over just 10 games. Perhaps they could use a dose of Elo Jimenez, who has shaken off his slow start to resume beast mode for the Birmingham Barons. He homered yet again on Sunday, his sixth in just 17 games. He's working on a 10-game hitting streak, over which he's hitting 400 with 4 homers and 5 doubles. Zach Collins' hitting streak ended at 10 games, but he did draw 2 walks to go along with 2 strikeouts on Sunday. He's closed the gap on Sebi Zavala in the process, raising his average from 054 to 230 over the course of just 12 games, and he's got a 442 on base percentage and a 405 slugging percentage to go along with it. Zavala, meanwhile, has hit a cold streak, going 4 for 12 with 11 strikeouts to 5 walks over his last 7 games. There's just a 50-point difference in OPS between the two now. Jimenez and Zavala are tied for the team lead in homers, but you can guess who joins them? It's Matt Rose. The third baseman and the third player in the Jose Quintana package went on a little tear earlier this week, hitting all six homers over the span of five games. The 23-year-old is 6'3 and has the frame for some power, but play discipline has held him back. So far, he's hitting a respectable 269 with a 333 OBP and 490 slugging, although the 31% strikeout rate would need to come down. The Barons' starting pitching has held Birmingham back, as Jordan Guerrero, Ian Clarkin, and Spencer Adams all have ERAs over six. Jordan Stevens is the only one providing strong starts on a weekly basis, although Dane Dunning has impressed through two outings. 
Down in Winston-Salem, pitching's helping the Dash get on a roll, as they're 5-1 and one to open May. Dylan Cease pitched six strong innings on Sunday, this time against Bowie's Creek. It wasn't his 12-strikeout kind of dominance from his start before, but he showed an ability to work around traffic, holding the Astros at two runs, one earned, on eight hits and two walks. He started two double plays to help his own cause. Bernardo Flores has stepped up to become the Dash's second most compelling starter since the promotion of Dunning, as he has a 3.25 ERA over six starts. But the offense is still stealing the show. Blake Rutherford followed up his first high-A homer on Saturday with a triple on Sunday. He's hitting 347, but more importantly, he has hiked his slugging percentage over 500 as his hitting streak reached nine games. Luis Alexander Basabe still has a four-digit OPS, a little bit better than Mike Adolfo, whose elbow didn't prevent him from winning Carolina League Player of the Month. It's the Kannapolis Intimidators, however, who remain the hottest team in the White Sox farm system. They improved a 20-10 with a victory over Hagerstown on Sunday, running their May record to 6-0. That's the benefit of having an older, college-heavy roster, as well as a loaded Winston-Salem team that makes promotions harder to come by. While Kannapolis' pitching staff has the 4th, 5th, and 6th round picks from the 2017 draft in the rotation, it's 21st rounder John Park who is leading the staff. The lefty out of South Carolina boasts a 1.8 ERA, and he has just 5 walks to 31 strikeouts over 35 innings. That's it for the Meyer League Report. Now we'll answer your questions in P.O. Socks. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Socks. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter at Socks Machine, posted your questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, and also supporting the show and the site at patreon.com slash Socks Machine by becoming a friend of the podcast. And I'm reconvened with Jim Margulis to answer your questions this week. And Jim, let's start off with Gukas Leogito's question. And Gukas is asking you, Jim, I won't turn on the radio to listen to the White Sox because of Ed Farmer and DJ are too grating to listen. Who would be your dream radio booth pairing? And how do we get them into the organization? I don't know if I have a dream pairing just because I don't. Yeah, I guess I'm not terribly familiar with, I guess, who would be free agents in the radio market. Um I can't describe the kind of broadcaster I like. You know, when I, I was trying to think of the the broadcasts I'm familiar with. And the White Sox are obviously one. Uh, Cubs, Cardinals, Royals, Indians, Rays, Red Sox. Yeah, you know, so maybe about like eight to ten teams I I know and familiar with. And I think you know when it comes to radio and, and voice, I really like the big friendly voice or you know the the. The, the one you want to listen to for say two to three hours, you know, multiple times a week, you know, that's, that's a serious commitment of time. And I think, you know, when it comes to farmer and DJ, you know, they, sometimes I find them amusing, but it does seem like I need to be in the mood for them, which I think is a little bit antithetical to the radio broadcast experience. So, you know, when I, when I think of, you know, teams I like, you know, the, the Cubs have a pretty good thing with Pat Hughes uh, um, and the, the Indians, Tom Hamilton, you know, just, just big voices that, uh, you know, grab your ear and, and keep your ear. And I like that. Whereas like the Royals, Denny Matthews, he's been there for 50 years. I think the entirety of the Royals uh, existence, but you know, I listened to him last or, or the two years where the Royals made it to the world series and he just really didn't get up for the big calls. And it was kind of Ed Farmer like in his uh, delivery and, and just very dry and monotone. And um, yeah, you know, I, I just don't know if I'd want to listen to that a hundred times a year. So um, 
you know, I think the White Sox had a good thing with John Rooney. Unfortunately, you know, he's from Missouri. St. Louis is his home. Uh, you know, calling games for the Cardinals, you know, KMOX. You know, it's a big deal. So, you know, unfortunately that happened. But um, I do like what the Diamondbacks did with Mike Farron. Um, I don't know if you know him. Uh, he's the he's, he's one of the radio mm-hmm. hosts on MLB Network Radio. Just he's a guy with a big personality, uh, big voice. I like listening to him. You know, he's, he's somebody I've listened to a lot on uh, just talk show you know, or, or the MLB Network uh, programming. Uh, you have you right. know, hour or two at a time and I've enjoyed listening to him. And now he's on the Diamondbacks pre and post game and occasionally filling in. I really like that kind of call. So, um, you know, he would be a guy where or, or somebody like him, I think, might be a free agent or might be you know, looking for promotion and that would be kind of cool. So, um, you know, I do like that. So, and DJ, I, I, DJ's weird to me in that he's never had a traditional partner. You know, it's been Hawk and then Farmer and two very idiosyncratic broadcasters to try to, you know, shape a style off of. And I don't know if that's, uh, if he's ever really developed one, you know, that's kind of normal and can pair off a, a traditional broadcaster who sets him up. So, uh, I don't mind DJ and I think, you know, he could definitely sound better or different with a different guy, but, um, uh, uh, you know, trying to think off the board, you know, I, I think AJ would be popular. I think AJ would probably be in a position where he could say TV or nothing. Um, and, and trying to think of the other past White Sox who have been interesting. And one, one off the board when I came up with was Scott Carroll, <laughs> just to somebody I enjoyed listening to. And, yeah, had like a big, uh, you know, personality and, and, and somebody who, you know, spoke of the game intelligently and, um, you know, put himself out there. Like, he's somebody I wouldn't mind seeing come back into the fold as somebody who can discuss the game one way or another. Those are good choices. I really like the Mike Farron one. He's a Chicago guy. He used to work at WGN. Yeah. So be co- yeah, I knew he, he had connections to the area. I, I didn't know him back then, but I knew, you know, seeing him talk to other radio guys and such, I knew he was involved somehow right so yeah that'd be kind of coming home for him uh if he you know if the white Sox job does become available it is something that i've been thinking about with ed farmer and how much longer i mean obviously we are celebrating hawk harrelson and this was uh sunday the last time hawk and wimpy broadcasted together and of course that's an end of an era uh but you know with your question gukas as far as like a, a pairing uh, I like it when teams promote within the minor leagues. Uh, obviously, Jason Benetti came from AAA uh, with the Syracuse Chiefs, uh, in large part of Len Casper making the huge recommendation. And of course, Jason being a local guy um, from the South Side. And I think for the White Sox, if they wanted to promote it like within for radio, you know, Kurt Bloom has been with the Birmingham Barons for 25 years. And I know you like that big voice. Kurt's got a great home run call. Yeah. And yeah. I think for radio, that's what you need. You need to have a great home run call. And I think if the White Sox, uh, you know, they're looking for a replacement, I think Kurt would be a great fit. Uh, as a color guy, I think Ron Kittle could be good on radio. Hmm. See, you don't like that. Well, I think... <laughs> Like I've heard him tell stories that are incorrect. Oh, and wait a second. And, and, well, no, but I mean, like in, in that, like if you're if you're giving him you know a couple hours a day, seven days a week, there could just be a lot of yeah. I, I was I remember at the Saber conference where he told a story about Frank Thomas staying on the bench for the Nolan Ryan brawl, and when you look at the video, Frank is in the middle of it. 
and you know he, he used the he dropped the big skirt on him and such and just i think uh you know it, it, it amused a group of people and that's that you know that comes to mind just as uh somebody you know giving him a platform just yeah he's a storyteller and he and he stretches stuff and you know it's amusing in a ambassadorial role i suppose but when it comes to yeah filling up that much airtime i think it could get him or the socks in trouble <laughs> okay well Jim shot down by Ron Kettle. But anyways, <laughs> if the White Sox are looking to replace Ed Farmer and they want to look within, uh, I think Kurt Bloom would be uh, a great replacement uh, if Ed Farmer decides to step away or if the White Sox decide to go in another direction. Could, could uh, Birmingham go on without him? That's a good question, He's man. He's an institution. He is. 25 years. And being inducted into the Southern League Hall of Fame as well. That man has made a career broadcasting minor league baseball. Kind of yeah, like he, Brock he's Meyer. Got, he's got that kind of voice, though, where you can just settle in with it. And yep. you know, keep, it grabs your ear. It keeps your ear. I mean, exactly. When the White Sox are not good and you want to catch up on, you want to watch Eloy Jimenez, it means Gonzo. It's Kurt Bloom calling the game. Uh, but, you know, if it's not Kurt Bloom, I mean, Mike Farron, he's a young guy, somebody that we can you know, listen to and age with, I guess, during mm-hmm. broadcast as well, as far as to develop that listenership to broadcaster relationship. Uh, Mike Farron's a great suggestion, Jim. So we'll see what uh, what they do, Gukas, as far as the White Sox with the radio booth. Obviously, uh, the change going from Hawk Harrelson to Jason Benetti full-time in 2019 is a big move by the White Sox. Uh, but, you know, obviously can't forget about radio as well, especially with the White Sox making the big move over to WGN. Uh, so great question, Gukas. Our next question comes from Tim Mayer. And Tim is asking, at this point, what is the White Sox most effective outfield? Tim is making me get my uh, bonnet out here, Jim. Uh, <laughs> Louis Garcia, Daniel Polka, and Trace Thompson. I mean, Tim... Tim is probably right as far as what is the most effective outfield at the moment. But is that the answer, Jim? No, I think it's Delmonico, Larry, Trace, um, left to right. Um, and, and when Avi's back, I think, you know, that the outfield will look better. Um, you know, Delmonico, I think, you know, I think with his offense, we're seeing good at bats. Like he, he has good at bats. He has a good idea of the strike zone, just really isn't hitting for power. And, and I guess we'll understand, you know, what kind of, offense he provides and then what kind of defense he would need to play to make up for that and I think you know right now if I had to guess by the end of the year I think we'd see him as a um you know Connor Gillespie type and that he can spot start he can be okay but he's ideally a left-handed bench bat that will you know have some good bats when you need them against certain kinds of pitching and he'll have a major league career it's just everyday player and left field really stretches him but you know, for the whole season I think it makes sense to stick him out there he did make that great catch against the wall he made another catch in foul territory so He's had a couple of nice catches this week that, that give you an idea if he could just get an idea of routes and um, also pick up the ball. <laughs> I think he's, he's had a lot of, you know, maybe, you know, five or six where he just overcharges or you know, doesn't look the ball into his glove and he hasn't smoothed that out yet. But he's got some uh, he's got some potential when it comes to range. I think it just uh, we'll, we'll see how much he can smooth out the mechanics. Uh, Larry in center, I think we saw what he can do last year. And, and so I think that's more or less fine for a rebuilding year. Uh, Trace and Wright, you know, that's the weakness, but, you know, Polka, I, I think the league has adjusted him pretty quickly, you know, throwing him off speed stuff in the first pitches. He, he has a, a, you know, a big swing and a quick bat and it's, it's kind of fun, but on the other hand, you see him kind of swat and it reminds me a little bit of Leary his first couple of years where you just don't get an idea of a reliable swing plane or, you know, 
how long his bat stays in the zone and, 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 you know, what kind of contact he can make that isn't like, you know, big time pull fly ball type contact, you know, and, and if, you know, the league figures it out and he's going to be hitting 200 and you're not walking, then there isn't much there. I think if you're looking for defense and, you know, it would be right-handed power, but I think Thompson would fill that, that role until uh, Avi comes back. But I think once Avi's back, then I think it's pretty much the way it started, except for Larry and center. Thank you for asking the question, Tim. Our next question comes from Russell, the canine and Russell is asking Jim on base percentage is somewhat underrated nowadays. I hope people aren't looking at Zach Collins, 230 batting average the last couple of seasons and thinking he's bad. Does he have the best batting eye in the organization? And is he someone who might walk 75 plus times per year in the major leagues? Well, I wouldn't say that OBP is underrated. I think with uh, with uh, Collins, um, it comes down to, yeah, it, it's basically like, um, you know, plate discipline without works is dead. And, and so when it comes to, you know, a guy like Collins who can draw walks, it's all well and good until you get to, you know, AAA and the majors where they aren't worried that you can put the bat on the ball and thus won't walk you or will walk you far less often uh, to make it, um, you know, kind of negligible, you know, how often he does draw walks. And uh, when it comes to Collins, you know, it, it's not so much that he would be a 230 hitter in, hitter in the majors. I think if he got to the majors, hit 230, he would walk enough to be, you know, okay for catcher, assuming he can stick at catcher. But when you're a top 10 pick and you play at a major collegiate conference and you come into high A hitting 230, that doesn't really bode well for how well you can hit, you know, you know, forget major league pitching, upper levels pitching. And, uh, you know, being able to turn, if you can't turn around a Carolina league fastball, you know, what will major league fastballs do to you and major league relief velocity. So, um, you know, that's why he spent the off season working on the hitch and the swing. And that's why, you know, per- perhaps with those changes, his, you know, first few weeks at Birmingham were really bad this season. He's turned it around lately. Uh, he's had a nice, you know, 10 days, uh, where he has been putting the ball in play, has pulled the ball some, and he's going to need to do more of that because, uh, just, you know, the higher you go up, especially with the way that Collins makes contact or the way he doesn't or the way he didn't, you know, it's been better as of late, but you know, on the whole, the last one plus year, it's been really troubling. And, and that's the case where you throw it on base percentage just because a guy of his caliber, a guy where he's drafted should be hitting at least 270 <laughs> in, in Winston-Salem, mm-hmm. uh, 270 in Birmingham. And you expect it to come down. So 230 sets a really low ceiling for what he can do in the majors, assuming that, you know, it's really a matter of uh, just how quickly the bat gets to the zone, not a matter of maybe, I, I think if he had worse plate, to, you know, if he's hitting 230 because he had worse plate dif- discipline, you know, maybe that's the case where you think like, well, I just need to see more pitching develop an approach and maybe, you know, the contact will come along. But right now with the contact being what it is, uh, it kind of reminds me of guys like, say, like, um, you know, Jordan Dinks, where he had a good approach. Uh, it was just that he couldn't get the bat through the zone, ended up, you know, popping up everything to the, to the left side, you know, most of the time. Uh, couldn't really pull for power. And so he was just a fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder at best. And so Collins, you know, not being a guy who looks likely to stick behind the plate or at least be a, a guy you want playing every day behind the plate, he needs the hits. And so when you see the 230 batting average at Winston-Salem, it doesn't bode well for him being able to hit in Birmingham and Charlotte and Chicago. Yeah, and he, you know, he's gotten hot. He's not batting yeah. below 100 anymore. He's now back up to 230 in Birmingham, and we'll see how high this goes. But again, to go circle back to an earlier conversation this show, that I had with Jim Callis and, you know, Jim has the same worries that you do 
about Zach Collins and, you know, not a really good feel on what type of player Collins is going to be and the concerns that if you're not making contact at high A and double A, uh, there's no reason to believe you're going to make contact in, you know, the majors. And the reason why we're all so hyped up and excited about what Sebi Savala does, because quite frankly, those are the numbers that Zach Collins should be having. Zach Collins should be at 270, a 376 on base percentage, and slugging 517. Those are not his numbers. That's Sebi Zavala's numbers. And he's the 12th round guy. And the fact that the 12th round guy is challenging the 2016 first round pick for playing time and maybe even depth chart position, uh, I think that's the reason why we're excited for Sebi Zavala because he is playing over his head. At the same time, we're still waiting for Zach Collins to put together you know, a great run. And maybe he is starting to do that after a horrible start to the year in his first two weeks that his timing, as you mentioned, Jim, was completely off with his timing back on and being able to raise his batting average where it is. And now his on-base percentage is at 442. I mean, there's no doubt about it. The guy's got a great batter's eye and he will take his walks and he will be patient. But teams will catch up on that and they will challenge Zach Collins. And when they challenge Collins, will he be able to live up to the test? And right now, I'm undecided if he could do that. Whereas Aloy Jimenez... I wouldn't challenge that guy right now because he's hitting the ball everywhere. Uh, And I think that's, again, we talked about that at the beginning of this year, the talent gap between an Aloy Jimenez and Zach Collins in Birmingham is quite noticeable. And I I think I speak for a lot of White Sox fans, Jim, and maybe even for some people who work within the White Sox, there's an expectation that Zach Collins will be a starting catcher for the White Sox in the upcoming years. And, uh, you know, Russell, I know you mentioned as far as like, don't worry about the batting average, but I have to respectfully disagree. This is something that Collins definitely needs to work on uh, for as long as that he's going to be at Birmingham. And I think for me, Jim, if he can get his batting average to like 280 in Birmingham, I think that'd be a terrific success story. And that would erase a lot of my concerns. But if he goes cold again, he goes below the Mendoza line. Uh, I, I don't know how I would feel about Zach Collins' odds being a starting catcher for the White Sox in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, it's like it brings to mind Tyler Flowers a little bit and that you know Flowers was a bat first guy coming up through the system. Uh, and then he was exposed in the majors and then you know frustrated a lot of people. And <laughs> uh, yeah, just everybody soured on him or at least fans did and the White Sox eventually did too by non-tendering him but um you know it's a huge adjustment going to major league pitching especially with the strikeout power that pitchers now have so yeah I would say 270 for Collins at Birmingham would be you know encouraging and I think you know difference between double A and triple A you know especially velocity I don't know if there's a huge difference there I think you know triple A is more about feel and about um you know guys with multiple approaches versus you know pure arm strength but uh i think birmingham right now is the bigger test for him and yeah i'm hoping 270 even 260 would be somewhat encouraging based on the way he started but yeah um he's got a ways to go and and hopefully it's just a matter of this you know trying to reduce the hitch and actually now getting all his pieces moving when they're supposed to be moving as the pitch is coming in but great questions this week guys from everybody and if you would like to post a question in P.O. Sox or have a topic that you would like Jim and I to tackle on this show, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. 
And again, help support as far as this show and the website at SoxMachine.com. We have 170 Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much for doing that as we provide extra content every single week. Lately, it's been very heavy on the MLB draft because, again, that's just within a month. As White Sox pick number four, and there'll be more content coming that way. And, of course, additional P.O. Sox questions and the opportunity to ask questions for our guests on each episode. So, again, if that's something that you would be interested in doing, go to patreon.com slash machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. I want to thank our guest, Jim Callis, again for joining us on the show to talk about the Major League Baseball draft and the White Sox top prospects. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, there are a variety of ways that you can listen to us. One is through iTunes. Just go to iTunes Source, search Sox Machine. If you do listen to us at iTunes, please give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. We're also in Spotify. Just go to Spotify, search Sox Machine, and follow us there to get new episodes. Google Play Music Store, that issue is fixed, so you can listen to us in Google Play now. And of course, as always, listen to us on audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.